Crime Scenes and Cupcakes is a true crime investigative podcast. We discuss cases regarding the assault, murder, sexual assault, or cases involving the abuse or abduction of adults or children. These topics can be very disturbing and a trigger to many individuals, so please listen accordingly. If you or someone you know is struggling or in crisis, help is available. You can text, call, or chat 988. This is available 24-7. It is also available in multiple languages for anyone who needs mental health related or suicide crisis support. It can connect you with trained crisis counselors. Also, if you are in Wichita, there is a local crisis center. Call 316-660-7500. Hey guys, this is Kendra. And this is April. And you're listening to our podcast, Nocturnal Distractions. We're just two best friends who decided to uh, start a podcast. And well, correction, Kendra decided to start this and to, she convinced me to come along for the journey. Yeah, uh, that did happen. I kind of tricked her into coming along. I am a true crime junkie and April is um, not so much. Not so much, but I'm getting better at it. Yeah, she is. And so together we are covering true crime and we are covering missing persons and mystery and paranormal and all that fun stuff from way back from the 1500s because that's what she likes to do up until current day stuff which is what i like to do so please come join us in our completely unscripted um hilarious journey of me learning about crime shit and everything that causes you guys to have nocturnal distractions at night hey guys welcome back to episode 42 of crime scene and cupcakes I'm Marianne, dog mom, baker, true crime podcast maker, and you just heard the trailer for Nocturnal Distractions. They're an awesome podcast that covers true crime and the paranormal and a lot of other spooky stuff. And their most recent podcast, it's a scary side of spooky season, and they discuss some horror houses gone wrong. And let me tell you guys, you don't want to miss this. Also, they have our trailer of Crime Scene and Cupcakes. And we got the vibe and we heard their message. So we decided to send them a few gluten-free cupcakes. And I cannot wait to hear what they think. Because we not only talk about dark things here at Crime Scene and Cupcakes... We also have the sweeter side, our cupcakes. So I know some people, when they saw our devilishly delicious on our podcast, and I want to apologize for that on our logo, we were talking about our cupcakes. And I could see how some people get kind of confused because not a lot of people know where we also have our bakery. So that's what that is. And we did change that to be a little bit more empathetic and understanding. And we apologize for anybody who didn't get that. I am so sorry. But yeah, we have our sweet side. We do our boozy cupcakes. But for those special people who we love and don't and don't want to have the booze in there, we'll make some special gluten, vegan-free, boozy-free cupcakes just for you, like our friends at Nocturnal Distractions. We also would like to take a few moments and explain why we have been missing in action. Crazy past few weeks. We've had the Tallgrass Film Festival, which we covered in a previous podcast. It's an annual event we have here in Wichita, Kansas. Think Sundance Film Festival on a smaller scale. We've had it for the past 20 years. It was spearheaded uh, by Leela Meadow Connor. Now, she has her own local film company now. It's called Mama Film, and it focuses on 
storytellers, and nurturers coming together to champion humanity through a more maternal gaze. They center on stories that foster empathy and connection to women, identity, and the human experience. It's a not-for-profit, and I'm going to be providing links so you can see the amazing things that they're doing here locally in Kansas and across the world. Now, at the Tallgrass Film Festival, we get the chance to see award-winning independent films premiere. And I got to meet some brilliant minds and the crews and the actors and all of these people like Jeff Marslett and Lauren Mottery. Lauren, by the way, I recently found out she had an article written about her in the Washington Post. And not only that, she has her own podcast. It's called Love Will Tear Us Apart. And I just finished an episode about the original Tiger Kings, Sigmund and Roy. If you haven't checked it out yet, is it a love story? Is it a business relationship? You got to go listen and see. It's really good. Now, like I said, today we are returning to our regularly scheduled programming, which is typically where we talk about cold cases and just cases that happened here in Wichita, Kansas, including the 1989 murder of Krista Martin. And recently we have been able to access some new information that we weren't aware of regarding her case. However, guys, this information is a lot. It is a lot to handle. Now, yes, the Wichita Police Department is aware of this information. So, they do know about it. But it's a lot of information for me to talk about and to do a podcast about alone. It's, it's just too much for me to handle. So, I have invited another podcaster or podcasters to join me as we explore this new evidence, what it can mean to her case, and raising the awareness of this information, and hopefully leading for Krista to receive the justice she deserves. So in the meantime, I decided to share the case of Angela Green. Now, it's a case that falls into two categories here in Wichita. Well, two categories here in Kansas. Either you know everything about the case, or you've never heard anything about the case at all. I became acquainted with this case in a rather unusual way, but we'll get to that. For now, let's get into it, and let's see if listeners can help the daughter of Angela Green Ellie and her niece, Michelle Gao, get answers in the case of Angela Green. Over 600,000 people are reported missing in the U.S. every year. The vast majority of cases are resolved quickly, within a few days or weeks. Sometimes a person has an illness or a mental health issue that causes them to get confused and lost. In some situations, the person was actually never missing at all. They may have left voluntarily, like to escape a domestic violence situation, or they just don't want to be where they're at. They don't want to be in the marriage. They don't want to be in their family situation. So they just leave. Actually, only a small portion of missing person cases each year involve foul play. The National Missing and Unidentified Persons System, or NamUs, is a government-funded program 
that collects information on people who have been missing for an extended period of time. Angela Green's name is now among the 18,051 missing persons listed in the NamUs database. About a hundred of these cases are in Kansas, the oldest of which dates back to 1968. As we all know, the first 48 to 72 hours following a disappearance are critical. In that window, law enforcement can interview witnesses while the memories are fresh, and they can also collect the evidence before it's lost. Now, in some cases, and you'll see that more and more after COVID has happened, more people are doing and or it may be inflicted upon them of social isolation. And again, it may be chosen or it may be inflicted upon them by a partner or another family member. And where those cases happen and the person goes missing and so it's not reported to authorities in a timely fashion, that becomes even more of a problem. So when someone is not in constant contact with someone, then no one knows actually when they go missing. And that's becoming a problem in the United States, actually in the world nowadays. I mean, think about the last time you've spoken to someone. That's why it's becoming, and a lot of people make fun of me, but I reach out to people almost every day, mental health check, how are you? What's going on? When it goes days without hearing from someone, that's a concern. We need to be checking in. So there is an eight month gap between Angela's disappearance and her daughter telling the police of her absence. That is one of the biggest hurdles law enforcement has had to overcome in this case. So let's get into the case of Angela Green. So police say 51-year-old Angela Green was last seen on June 19, 2019, near her home off of Tomahawk Road in Prairie Village, Kansas. Now, Angela Green's relatives fear she's no longer alive. Her driver's license, passport, purse, and keys were all left behind. Her relatives say there were no signs she traveled by plane, train, bus, or car. The Prairie Village Police Department and FBI are working together to investigate her disappearance. Now, this is an active investigation. So, we may not be covering a few things that you may have heard in other places because we do want to respect the integrity of the case. So if you notice some disparities between things you've heard here and there or whatever, that's the reason. Now, Angela had immigrated to Kansas from China. She immigrated here specifically to marry Jeff Green. She had met him in China. She was working at a donut shop and she had met the auto mechanic slash salesman in the 1990s. She was set up by a family, a friend of the family. Now, prior to going missing, Angela had just gotten into an argument with her daughter and her daughter's gone to college and she had just gotten back from going abroad. And that's something that happens in households all over the world, not just the United States. Tell me somebody who has not gotten into a fight with their college-aged kid. I know I have. In fact, my daughter and I got into a really severe one that I regret to this day. But that age, there always seems to be a butting heads problem because they're gaining their independence, and we as parents, we're fighting to keep them. And 
Angela, she just, she didn't think it was that. She, she was thinking that she was losing her daughter. She thought, you know, she doesn't want to lose her daughter. And Ellie, she's wanting to grow up. But Ellie didn't think it was that big of a deal. It was just a little fight. It's going to blow over. She had no idea this was going to be the last day she would see her mother. But not only that, she had no idea that this conversation, this event, was going to alter the course of the rest of her life and the way she looked at her own father forever. So let's get into the case. But before I go too far, I want to tell you guys a little bit about Angela herself. Because in a lot of the podcasts and in a lot of the stories, you don't really see a lot of the background about Angela. So Angela was born in Jinxi on the outskirts of Tijun, and I hope I'm pronouncing these correctly, in northern China, to two college professors. Now, in the late 1990s, a friend of hers Uh, excuse me, a friend of her parents, set her up with Jeff Green. Now, as I said, Jeff was an auto mechanic and salesman from Kansas. He was visiting China for work. Now, Jeff himself, he had been divorced and he had a teenage daughter from a previous marriage. Angela had never been married before and she was eager to start a family. And for the first day, he whined and dined her. They met at the Hard Rock Cafe in Beijing, and their courtship, it ended up, it was brief there, and then it was mostly conducted by Mel. Angela couldn't speak English very well, but she was able to read and write it fairly decently, and so that was mostly the way they courted, and then they finally decide they're going to get married, and so getting married and immigrating here is a lot of hoops to jump through. So when you make that decision, it is a diehard, that was a poor choice of terms, but it is a very firm decision you're going to make. So when you make it, you kind of feel like, well, now I'm stuck. I have to keep going forward. So Angela, she moves over here to Kansas and her sister, Catherine, She'd been living in Kansas already for a while. So Angela goes to stay with her. Now, Catherine has a daughter named Michelle. And Michelle, she took a look at Angela. And Angela, let me tell you, if you look at these pictures, she looks like a model. I mean, she is gorgeous. She is five foot nine, which I am jealous because I'm barely five foot four. And which is why I like wearing my stilettos so much. And she she's just absolutely gorgeous. And Michelle spends so much time with Angela. They develop this really close bond. But Angela still, she, she doesn't know English that well. And you would figure, okay, Jeff is going to learn Mandarin. It's an extremely difficult language. I get it. But this is your bride. You chose her. So you're going to go through all the hoops to be with her. You're going to make these changes in your life because you want to be with her, right? No, of course not. It's Jeff. He's not going to do that. Well, then Angela starts finding out a little bit more about Jeff as she gets over here. So Jeff, it turns out, Angela wasn't aware of how much older Jeff was than her. Now, she noticed from the way he looked, he was older. But when she gets here, she finds out he's 13 years older than she is. So that's falsehood number one. Falsehood number two. She finds out about Jeff's ex-wife. 
And she finds out that he didn't tell his teenage daughter he was dating, that he was planning to get married, or any of this until Angela shows up. So Angela is hit with this bomb as she arrives in the United States. So again, new country, new culture, don't speak the language, so much confusion, and so much deception. This could not have been easy for Angela at all. But she goes forward because, you know, she loves him. She's gone through so much to be with him. And they get married and they move into this really cute little ranch-style house in Prairie Village, Kansas. And she has her sister to rely on. And the two families hang out. They celebrate holidays together. And they do all of that. But then Catherine moves away a few years later. And it's it's really sad because Angela and Michelle had been so close. I mean, they were so close that when Angela was living with them, Michelle would put Angela's clothes on. And she said even though she swam in them, she was like, she felt like she was just being like her her big Aunt Michelle. And she was so trying to be glamorous as she was. But then... Michelle says when Ellie was born that Angela cut off everyone in her life and she spoke to no one. But I want to back up and I want to look at this from a different angle because I'm not pointing fingers. I'm not doing any of that. But let's look at this again. We have Angela coming over. She doesn't speak the language. The culture is so different. Jeff had deceived her in so many ways. So she's living in a bubble. And that bubble is her taking care of the house, doing these things, and now she's pregnant. So I I wonder how much of that cutoff was all her and how much of that cutoff was also Jeff. And you'll see my reasoning as more of the story unfolds. So we go back to the fight. And Ellie says the fight that night wasn't that severe. Ellie had just gotten back from traveling abroad. And they were basically fighting over Ellie's independence. And I could see Angela latching on to Ellie Because Ellie is the only one who speaks her language. Now, neighbors had come over because Angela keeps like this gorgeous yard. She even works so hard on the yard that the little uh, traffic areas that have the greeneries and stuff in the middle of the road. She goes on and she makes those gorgeous and works on that as well. So her life is about making everyone and everything on the outside appear beautiful because and my mom would do this too the outside of our home looked like better homes and gardens I mean it was gorgeous she would make these perfect Christmas wreaths everything outside looked perfect and it did not show just how ugly things were on the inside and I wonder sometimes if that's the same thing going on there. So we, we've got this going on. And I think Angela was latching on to Ellie because she was the only one who spoke her language. Angela and Jeff are sleeping, and this is per Ellie, in two separate bedrooms. They have more of a business relationship than a marriage. So Angela's holding on to the only thing that she feels like she has control over and she knows. So she and Ellie get into this huge fight and she tells Ellie, fine, if you're going to leave me, just leave, just go. So Ellie leaves and she has an emotional breakdown in her car for a moment, but then hollers at her boyfriend who says, you know what, you can stay at my grandparents' house 
and we'll just get through this and I'm sure your mom will cool down and everything will be back to normal. And Ellie has no idea this is the last time she's going to see her mother. Because honestly, I think Ellie just felt like she needed a break from all of this. She needed a break from being her parents' mediator, her parents' translator, her mother's world. I mean, everything about her, her mom revolved around. Her mom made her everything. So I'm sure she's thinking, I just need a break. I need to get away. And so for Ellie, this was a break. But then on June 23rd, as Ellie is chilling out, needing a Okay, but before we get into June 23rd, let's talk a little bit about Prairie Village, Kansas, for those of you who don't live in Kansas. Prairie Village Police Department's homepage talks about how they have 47 sworn officers and 13 civilian employees. And for those of you not from Kansas, Prairie Village is right near Country Club Plaza and Mission Hills near Kansas City. So it's more of a well-to-do area of Kansas. So you definitely would know if and we'll get into that part of the story. But if a bunch of guys were grabbing somebody out of a parking lot, as her husband tends to imply, people would know and people would notice. Now, there's about 9,955 households in Prairie Village. And 21.9% around that time had children under the age of 18. And the average household size was about 2.2 kids. <laughs> it's close to the Kansas City Zoo, but enough out of the way where you don't have to deal with the crazy kids yelling, Rock Chalk Jayhawks, or get off my lawn, because yeah, we were always out there drinking on people's lawns. So it's a pretty nice area. Okay, so Ellie and Angela have this what Ellie calls a minor dust-up, but Angela tells her to just leave the house, go live in your car, go do whatever, I'm done. But, you know, families say things they're going to regret, fights happen. Ellie says that her father did try to intervene in the fight at one point, but then he decided to just leave the room. So, Ellie leaves, she gets in her car, she said she drives off, goes and cries for about 30 minutes, then talks to her boyfriend, and they decide that Ellie is going to go stay at his grandparents' house for a while till her mom cools off. But then the next day, her dad texts her, texts Ellie, and he says, hey, we need to talk about your mom. And she finds out her dad is staying at his brother's house and she's like, you know what? I am over this. I am over being the mediator between you guys. I am just, I want to take some time for me, which is completely understandable. She shouldn't have to be the go-between her parents. She shouldn't have to do all of this. So she's done. And she tells her dad, I just need a break. Now you have to wonder how things might be different if she had decided to go over to her dad's brother's house and meet with him. She says she doesn't hear anything until June 23rd. Then Ellie receives another text from her father, and I have to have a blow up for a moment. Because when parents text their children possibly devastating news, it pisses me off. Okay, so younger generations will text each other sometimes big news or whatever. That's them. But as a parent, it is your responsibility to have a physical discussion with your child. If you can't go over and see them because they're busy or whatnot, 
You need to talk to them. You need to have a voice discussion. But, hey, in this case, this text becomes evidence. So maybe it's a good thing that he decided to text her. So Jeff texts Ellie that her mother is in a mental health facility. Now these texts have been obtained by profiling evil. So what Jeff tells Ellie is, we met the mental health people in the grocery store parking lot and it was a struggle. He says it was better than prying her out of the house. And she always looks good going out and she didn't have the embarrassment of house clothes or an untidy house. So that to me, it's giving us a picture of Jeff as a person. He's more concerned about what his wife looks like when putting her in a quote unquote mental health facility and how the house looks than his own wife's mental health. He also tells his daughter not to tell anyone because he doesn't want anyone to know about this. But then he goes on to really kind of expound about this text. And he tells Ellie it was an ambush and that he committed her involuntarily and that he used a code word with the police department to complete this task. And let me tell you guys, as a professional, this is bullshit. Okay, number one, a husband cannot just randomly go and say, hey, okay, I want you guys in the white coats to ambush my wife as she's going grocery shopping because she's mentally unsound. Okay, so now if somebody is making threats to hurt someone, if somebody's doing that, it, it's a little bit of a different situation, but there are still hoops to jump through. You can't just ambush somebody in a parking lot and the little men in the white coats jump out of the van, grab somebody kicking and screaming, throw them into the van and put them in a mental health facility. That doesn't happen. I don't care what the movies say and I don't know what freaking movie Jeff was watching that he thought he could get away with this shit. And also, there's no special code word. I mean, what is it? Soylent green? I mean, what friggin' code word was he using for this? So here is this college-aged girl who is having to act like everything is fine. And she's already got this brought up in this weird-ass marriage between her parents. Then she's being texted, mind you, that her mother is in a mental health facility. But hey... Don't tell anyone. And to make matters worse, she asks the name of this place. And he goes, um, it's down south somewhere, but I don't want to get into it. And I mean, thank God for Ellie's boyfriend's parents. Because they aren't allowing her to go through this alone. They try to get answers from Jeff. And he literally just flat out ignores them. Just, nope. I'm not going to respond to you guys, and I don't know about you guys, but it pisses me off. It pisses me off when I reach out to somebody and I ask a question, and if you don't want to answer my question, then message me you don't want to answer it. Don't just ignore me because you decide you don't want to answer it. That will just tick me off more than anything. So then later, Jeff texts her, hey, I'm organizing some things. You can come by anytime the door is open. Now, Angela had become a little bit, and I believe the word hoarder was used. So it was difficult to get through some of the things of the house. And she made it comfortable for Ellie and Ellie only. Um, because, you know, her mental health is going on a decline because she has this shipbird of a husband who won't speak her language. Her daughter is growing up and leaving her. And then Ellie is dealing with the fact that her husband, uh, her 
dad is like, oh, hey, I'm organizing your mom's things. I'm not going to allow you to visit her, but hey, you can come by and see me anytime. So I feel so bad for Ellie going on this roller coaster of emotions. But that's what she did. And the summer goes on. Now, Ellie stays with her boyfriend and his family. And she's trying to have a normalish relationship with her dad because, well, she's lost one parent. She doesn't want to lose another one. You know, her world's falling apart. She can't really talk to anybody. Her mom had already kind of cut off the relationship with her other family, with her side of the family. So I just, I feel for Ellie so much of what she had to have been going through. And I mean, Jeff would come over and he would visit her at her boyfriend's house. And they even had a barbecue together on the 4th of July. So it's not like... They aren't communicating. Jeff is somebody, though, he appears to just avoid talking about the things he doesn't want to talk about. So you try to talk to him about stuff, and he just becomes very vague and just very, um, I don't know, things are busy at work, or, yeah, I don't want to get into it. It's just too upsetting. And... It's just very odd. It's a very bizarre situation. So Zach, uh, Ellie's boyfriend's mother, Sarah Krause, she reaches out to Jeff by text because she's like, okay, Ellie is hurting. Ellie is needing some support system here. So she reaches out to Jeff and she's like, Ellie needs to see her mom. Or we at least need some information to help Ellie through this. And Jeff, well, I'm not going to respond to anything. I'm just not going to deal with it. And he doesn't get back to her at all. So Ellie, again, is going through the summer and she's trying to do things to distract herself. So she goes to Union Station one day and it's a really cool historic place in Kansas City. And she goes out on dates with her boyfriend and three weeks go past and she hasn't heard from her mother and she's, she's concerned and she keeps trying to reach out to her dad and find out more information, but she's not getting anything and she wants to just kind of have a normal life. So then on July 16th, she and Zach, her boyfriend, they attend a Frisbee tournament at a local high school. And they get back to his house at a little after 10 p.m. And when they get back, Jeff pulls into the driveway and he says, I've got some urgent news to share with you guys. Angela has died of a stroke in the hospital. This is what he says to Ellie. Not your mother, Angela. And that just is something that has stuck with Ellie. And Ellie says her world just went blurry. She just, she walked away and fell to her knees. And, and Jeff just leaves. He just drives away and he leaves. So Ellie's boyfriend helps her inside and she just, she collapses on the couch and she is just sobbing. But Zach's family just spends the night comforting Ellie because she's just a teenager at this time. And they decide, okay, we, we, we want to be a part of this. We want to help. And so they invite Jeff over the next day for lunch. And they say it is one of the most awkward lunches they've ever had. And as they're trying to get answers from Jeff, and get details of what they can do, how they can get everything sorted, and what they can do to help, he, he's, he's not responding. And we know everybody grieves differently. You know, that is one of the biggest things we all say in the true crime world. You don't know how somebody's going to grieve, and so you just kind of roll with it because everyone grieves differently. So they were asking the name of the hospital, and he said, well... I got the call when I was at work and I was really busy. So I didn't get the name of the hospital. 
And I don't know about you guys, but if your significant other, you just find out that they died. Well, first of all, I think you're already going to know the name of the hospital that they're at. But he's saying, I was so busy at work, I didn't get the name of the hospital. And then they said, okay, what about the service? What are we going to do? And he's like, oh, I'm really busy at work. I'm really busy with things. And I, I don't have time for that right now. And so they're like, okay, what about Angela's family? And he said, I'm really busy. I, I'm trying to deal with my own grief. I don't want to deal with that family right now. There's just, there's already all these emotions and problems. I don't want to deal with that. So the more answers he was giving them, the more questions they were having. It just wasn't sounding right. And so Ellie continues to stay with Zach's family, but she keeps in contact with her dad by text. And about every other week or so, they meet for a meal, and Ellie keeps asking questions to her dad about Angela, her own mother. And whenever she would ask a question, she says he would just shut down. And she assumed it was because he was coping with the loss of his wife, not only her mother. And she was afraid to push him any harder. As she says, she'd already lost one parent and she was terrified of losing another. So she didn't want to push him and she was afraid of pushing him away. Then it all comes down to a wedding invitation. So Catherine Gow was watching TV in her living room when she was living in Long Island when her niece calls her on February 13th, 2020. Now, she hadn't heard from Angela or Ellie in about eight months. So it's not like Angela had completely cut them out of her life, as it had been implied earlier. They just didn't have the type of relationship they usually had. She said Angela would call at least once to check in about an upcoming wedding, and she hadn't heard back. Now, the spotty contact wasn't that unusual because even though they both lived in Kansas for a few years and forged their separate lives, they did contact each other. So, a little bit different than what we were hearing before. And Catherine said when she picked up the phone that night, all she heard was Ellie sobbing. And she was having a really hard time following what exactly she was saying. But then she heard that her sister was dead. She gathered that much. And she also said Ellie kept repeating the date of the 16th. She looked at the calendar and it was the 13th. And she asked Ellie, how could she die on the 16th when it's the 13th. And then Ellie explained, no, her mother had died on July 16th. And Catherine, she just, she didn't know how to react. So she called her own daughters. Now, one of her daughters is a doctor and her other daughter is a lawyer. So, very accomplished. And they both were immediately suspicious of this story because the doctor, she knows better. And the lawyer, she definitely knows better than all of this. So, they were both immediately kicked into investigative drive. And they said, okay, if Angela died in Kansas, by law a death certificate must exist. So they contacted Ellie. Ellie, can you get up the death can you get the death certificate? Because this is gonna clear up exactly how, the what, the where's, what the hell is going on with Angela's death. So Ellie cuts class the next day and she drives to the state's vital statistics office here in Topeka to request a copy of her mother's death certificate. 
And that's when shit gets real. Because the clerk comes back and says, um, there is no death certificate on somebody with that name. So Ellie meets up with her father the following day and she corners him in the kitchen. And she asks him, okay, what state did mom die in? And Jeff says, well, Kansas. And she goes, no, no, he did. No, she didn't. Because I went to the state's vital statistics to look it up. And she says her dad's face just, it looked completely different than she'd ever seen it look. And he says, um, okay, I'll have to look into it. Who the hell has to look into their spouse's death? You know. You know. And she says that that was the last time she's ever seen her father in person. So that same day, the Gal family, Angela's family, they request a welfare check. They call the police and they want a welfare check done on Angela. So the police arrive and Jeff decides to come up with a news story. And he says, well, Angela took off with some friends. So the police are like, oh, okay, this is, this is new. So the police call Ellie, her daughter, and they ask her if she knows where her mother is. And she told them that her dad told her that her mother was dead. Well, so the captain from the Prairie Village Police Department, he doesn't want to get into specifics when we ask him questions. And he just says that the police have received conflicting information regarding Angela's whereabouts. And he says that that information is very concerning. So Ellie ends up going to the police department three days later to fill out a missing person report. Her dad ends up calling her while she's sitting at this small round table with two detectives. So she puts him on speakerphone and she also hits record because this girl, she's hella smart. And at that time, Jeff admits he made up the whole story about Angela being forcibly taken to the mental hospital. And he says, I just didn't want you to think she'd run off with some stranger. So no, I'd rather think, have you think that a bunch of people grabbed her from a grocery store parking lot, shove her into a van and take her to a mental health facility, than her run off with some friends. Okay. And then he says, the truth is, she just kind of disappeared. So after Angela goes missing, he says he got a call from someone saying she'd been admitted to a hospital. And a few weeks after that, then he gets a call that she died. And he's saying, well, I was busy at work. I didn't want to take notes. I had stuff to do. So then he gets a call and he says that someone's going to come by the house and pick up money for the cremation. And then he gets an urn back. And when he looks in the urn, it he gets the urn. And all of this is done by phone, mind you. Okay. So he's saying all of this is done by phone. He doesn't think anything is weird about it because, you know, he's busy at work. And then... They pick up, they come, they pick up $1,500 for the cremation. Again, he doesn't think this is weird. And then somebody drops off an urn. And when he looks in the urn, it's empty. But he doesn't think to call the police. He doesn't want to get into all of this. And he doesn't share any of this with his daughter. So after a few minutes, Ellie asks a question that had been getting louder and louder in her head for weeks. And she asks him, Dad, did you hurt Mom? And of course, he says he didn't because, you know, why would he be honest with everything else going on? 
So over the next few weeks, Ellie and her father, they keep speaking, but Ellie, she's recording all of these conversations and his story is continuously changing. And he tells her that he originally did believe Angela was dead, but now he's not so sure. And then he starts to suggest, well, maybe Angela faked her own death because she wants him to feel guilty. Yeah, nothing odd there. And for Ellie, the most confusing thing was that her own dad appears to have no interest in finding her mom. And he just says, well, I don't know where to look or what to look for. And she's like, just come help me. And he's like, I'm not going to go walk up and down the streets and knock on doors to look for her. So no, I'm not going to go do that. And she asked him then, just come to the police with me and ask for help in the investigation. And again, he's like, nope, not going to do that. Then she finds out Jeff hires a criminal defense attorney. And he also warns her that the police are going to try to manipulate her and turn her against him. Not like his weird-ass stories are going to do that quite well on their own. And the fact that he's telling her not to tell anybody and that he's being hella sketch about this. So, in March, the police execute a search warrant for Ellie's family home. They cordon off the area with crime scene tape. And guess who comes rolling in? You got it. Cadaver dog. And this is the first time that a lot of the neighbors learned that Angela has disappeared. Now, they didn't notice something was going on because Angela kept this yard perfect, like I said. Everybody knew her as a woman who was out there making sure that yard looked perfect. And she was going out to the areas, the little traffic areas, I don't know what they're called, in between the street and making sure those looked perfect as well. And Walton, one of the neighbors, he thought maybe she was out traveling or something. He said, and Jeff, he never said anything. The neighbor would see him and he'd say hello. And so he thought everything was hunky-dory. But then Walton says he all of a sudden sees like 10 police cars. And he notices the neighbors, the police are digging in the Green's backyard. The police also executed a search warrant in the neighboring town of Olathe and combing a wooded area in a pond because Jeff also owned some land there. But in the past five months, there have been no major updates in the case and there have been no leads to suggest where Angela might be found. Now, the family has started a petition and Michelle, Angela's niece, She's doing some amazing things on TikTok and on Facebook. So I'm going to provide links so you guys can follow her on there. And the family, um, Angela's side of the family, has been pursuing a legal case against Jeff. Now, Ellie has decided to go public with her information and all the recordings on her dad and with everything she has because... She's not going to be quiet anymore. Something is sketchy going on here. And her dad needs to own up to what he knows. So she started posting photos of Angela holding her as a newborn on Instagram. And that's kind of where she started this case. And she started pushing the in information. And... She almost started like blaming herself on this. And I feel so sad for her because it's not her job as a child. It wasn't her job to do all the translating. It wasn't her job to do these things. It was her dad's job. Her dad wanted to marry Angela. Her dad went through the hoops of bringing Angela over here. Her dad should have helped Angela acclimate to the environment here. 
This is all Jeff's doing. This is not Ellie's fault. This is Jeff's fault. And Jeff needs to put on his big boy pants and take responsibility for what he has done. If something went wrong in an argument after Ellie left, that's on Jeff. And Jeff just needs to be honest about things. If Angela did leave, then Jeff needs to be honest about the things that has happened so that the police can look in the correct direction. Whatever the hell is going on, Jeff, put on your fucking big boy pants and deal with it. But what you are doing is putting a burden on your child. You didn't seem to care enough about your teenage daughter when you first married Angela to be honest with her as to what is going on. And now you're not being honest with Ellie. That isn't much of a parent. It was not Ellie's job to translate. It was not Ellie's job to be a mediator in your marriage. And it is not Ellie's job to have to do this investigation. It is not Michelle's job, but they are taking those jobs on and they are doing an amazing job. These ladies are incredible. And I really hope you guys follow them. I hope you give them support because they need it. They need all of our support because this is not easy in pursuing justice for a family or for a friend. So Ellie is still grieving the loss of her mother and now her father. These days, she only speaks to her dad about logistics like tuition, bills, and rent. She's still a college student, and she is dependent on him for financial support. And it reminds me of a conversation, for those of you I shared in my podcaster support world who know about my crazy ex situation and those types of things. And one of the things I want to say is when somebody keeps posting horrific stuff on your social media and they can't let things go, that shows who the actual bad person is in the situation. But one of the things that really stuck with me when I first met his daughter is she almost tried to warn me away where she said, the only reason I'm maintaining, um, I'm re I'm maintaining a conversation with him is because I need to get through college. Now that should have been a red alert for me. And I didn't listen to it. She didn't really say a lot, but she said that. And I should have heard those words. Because these kids, they've got to get through college and she needs her dad's help in order to do that. One of the other things Ellie said was, I wonder when I'm going to stop losing people. And that really hit hard. Because to her, she lost her mother after an argument and she didn't know that was going to be the last time she was going to see her. And now... Her dad is just being a dick. I mean, he's not being there for his child at all. And I guess we have saw a pattern when he wasn't there for his first daughter. She said Jeff's family even turned their backs on her once she started to do media interviews. Four of Jeff's family members did not respond to requests when the Huffington Post wanted to do their article. If there is nothing to hide, all you have to do is present your side. It's as simple as that. Ellie doesn't believe her mother would disappear voluntarily. Angela loved her more than anything, and Ellie knows that. But the disappearance of Angela has made Ellie question everything. Everything she knew about the world, everything she knew about her mother, and everything she knew about her parents' marriage. 
So we're hoping by getting this information out there in today's podcast, it, it's not to... We're hoping by providing the information about Angela and what Ellie and Michelle are doing is going to get you guys to A, please sign the petition and B, share Angela missing Facebook page with as many people as possible. We want to try to see if there is anybody who has any type of information. Jeff has got to have some information and Jeff has got to have talked to people. There isn't just one person who has information. We know this. This information has had to have been shared. And we just want you guys to be able to share this information on. We have recorded one of the conversations Ellie had with her father, Jeff, on this. Now, on Sarah Turney's podcast, you can get actually all of the conversations on there. But we're recording this piece because I want you guys to get a feel of what the conversations were like and also just how often Ellie is giving him the chance to just tell her the truth and how he responds to her questions. And I would like you guys to give that a listen. So listen to this real quick. Angela Green's case is available on Uncovered.com for any of you citizen detectives who would like to research her case and add any available information. Also, anyone with information on Angela Green's case can call the TIPS hotline at 816-474-TIPS to leave an anonymous tip. There have been 150 leads in this case to the Prairie Village Police, but so far they have not been able to find Angela Green. As I've said, the police have contacted the FBI. The FBI is now involved with the case and they continue to look for Angela Green, but the case is growing cold, so they need any type of information they can. Michelle Gao and Ellie Green have been working very hard on sharing as much information as they can. Michelle is very active on TikTok. There is a lot of information that has been shared. Excuse me, that has been shared. And as I've said, there is a petition out there that we will provide a link to. We would like to get as many signatures as possible. Angela was a beautiful kind, caring person who came here and didn't understand the language, didn't understand the culture, and was just alienated by so many people and had a spouse who just didn't give her a chance. If you guys can help us find Angela or get us, I know there are some amazing internet researchers some fresh eyes who could take a look at this case and maybe come up with some new ideas and some new information. We're thinking that the grocery store parking lot that Jeff is saying this incident happened in, and I think there possibly might have been a reason he continues to bring that grocery store up. We're thinking the grocery store was the price choppers over in Prairie Village, but again, that information is not 100%. And of course, it could have all been made up. And we're thinking it probably was. But nothing has been turned up at the Green's home or the additional property that he had. So we're continuing to try to get information. So any help would be greatly appreciated. Thank you guys so much for listening. And thank you again for my amazing podcasting support group. We love the messages and the wonderful cases that they continue to have. 
True Crime BNB, um, Not Adding Up Podcast, Crime and Crime Again, Crime and Coffee, they are all amazing. Uh, Cryptic Soup Pod, one of my newest addictions, they are all amazing. Uh, Midwest Files Podcast, they're great. You guys need to check them out. And again, we're going to be doing a follow-up case with the Krista Martin, the new information that we have received. But as I said, it's really hard and it's a lot of information. So it's, I, I need the help of my amazing podcast friends to be able to put this out there because it's a little too hard for me to do on my own. And so I appreciate all of the assistance. I want to thank uh, Huffington Post as one of our resources today. Also, Big Mad True Crime was one of the podcasts I had listened to as I was gathering information for this. And also Profiling Evil had a wonderful case on the Angela Green story, as well as Dateline and Kendall Ray did a wonderful covering of this case. So thank you all and everyone be safe. Thank you.